15 seconds. Guidance is internal. 10, 9, ignition sequence start. Space nuts. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Space nuts. Astronauts report it feels good. Hello once again. Thank you for joining us on Space Nuts. It's all about astronomy and space science. This is episode 273, believe it or not. And today we're going to be looking at quite a bit. We're going to knock off a whole bunch of questions, but we're also going to be looking at a a discovery uh, in regard to a planet that appears to be orbiting three stars, three stars, and we can't see it. But we'll uh, we'll look at it anyway. Uh, we'll also be following up on the Bepi Colombo space probe. We've talked about that before. That's the one headed for Mercury, and then it's headed for Mercury, and then it's headed for Mercury, and then it's headed for. Uh, but it's made its first pass and taken some stunning photos. I don't know if you've seen them, but uh, very exciting news there. Uh, we'll also uh, be chasing up uh, audience questions about um, the Carina supernova. That hasn't happened. Uh, also, uh, the speed of light, the center of the universe, the color of the sky, and a follow-up on something we talked about four or 5,000 years ago, uh, the TRAPPIST star system, a, a follow-up question on that that we've taken too long to get to, but we will now. Owen, thank you for sending it in. Uh, with me, as always, is astronomer at large, Professor Fred Watson. Hello, Fred. Hi, Andrew. Good to see you again. Looking bright and breezy, as always. Well, I'm getting excited because it looks like we'll be out of lockdown yeah. on Monday, which is only four or five days away for us. So fingers crossed all goes well. It's been a turbulent political week. We've got new leadership in the state on in, in two of the major parties that are in coalition. So it's uh, oh, it's crazy time. Crazy, crazy time. Yep. We've got a new minister federally as well. Yes, we have. Yes. Yep. Uh, it's all happening. Um, but yeah, uh, we're looking forward to getting back to some kind of normality, whatever whatever the new normal will be from from Monday in uh, New South Wales. A uh, couple of things before we start on your topics, Fred. Um, did you hear that uh, the Russians have, have uh, sent a film crew yeah. to the International Space Station? They're going to do a movie. Yep. <laughs> They've even sent an actress up there. No, I didn't know about her, but I did know that they'd sent a film crew up. Yes, okay. Good. Yes, indeed. So uh, I think that's amazing. I, yeah, we, I think we talked some time ago about, you know, it won't be long before they're filming movies in space. Well, <laughs> we weren't far wrong. So that's it, good. And uh, there's been a milestone achieved by the Chang'e 4U2 rover mission on the moon. They've just clocked a 1,000 days. A 1,000 days. Remarkable, oh, yes. Yeah, and oh, still three. going. Three years, you two yep. too. Yeah, twenty eighteen. I'm that told. To believe it. Uh, yeah, yep, yep. Mm. Sounds right. And and uh, <laughs> time it, flies when you're having a good time. <laughs> it's been it's been exciting because when they first started, they went, "Look, look, look, look we found a rock." And yeah. then the other day, they went, "Oh, there's another rock." It's <laughs> <laughs> a rock. <laughs> anyway, good, great stuff. Yes, indeed. Let's get down to business. Uh, astronomers have found a planet that orbits three stars. This sounds uh, rare and unusual. Uh, it, yes, it, it probably is unusual. It's um, uh, it's one of these stories that still is, you know, um, riddle uh, or um, riddled is probably the wrong word. <laughs> I was going to say riddled with caveats. Uh, I don't think I think it's too many metaphors there. Anyway, it's it's got it's got qualifications, if I could put it that way. So, uh, but yes, it's a, it's a star 
um, which rejoices in the marvellous name of, oh, I've lost his name, uh, GW something, I can't remember, hang on, hang on, let me find it. <laughs> GW Ori, GW Ori, yes, yes. it meaning it's a star in the constellation of Orion. Um, uh, and it means it's a variable star because a star with a name like that, with two initials, uh, is a variable star. It's, there's a long story behind that as well. It's 1,300 light years away uh, as the crow flies. And uh, it is a young star which has around it this enormous disk of dust, uh, which is called a protoplanetary disk, uh, dust and gas. Um, and most young stars have this. Uh, and it's uh, uh, basically an indicator that planets are being formed. Mm-hmm. Um, However, GW Ori is not your ordinary young star. It's three stars, uh, which are mutually in orbit around one another. Um, We've we've spoken, uh, you and I, Andrew, many times about binary stars, where you've got a pair of stars which are in orbit around their mutual centre of gravity, usually called the barycenter. This is the same sort of thing, but with another star thrown into the mix. Mm. Triple stars and systems are not rare, but uh, not particularly rare. Uh, They are far less common than binary systems with two stars. But uh, what's unusual is to find one with a protoplanetary disk around it. But in particular, this disk has some peculiar qualities. First of all, it's two disks. It's uh, a... um, you know, it's like a disc, but with an enormous gap in it. Um, and that gap is really significantly big. So it's it's not, you know, just a, a narrow gap like the Cassini division in Saturn's rings. It's a big gap. Um, and the really odd bit is that the outer ring is actually tilted in respect to the inner ring. At about 30 de- 38 degrees, it's a significant tilt. So you've got this curious situation of an inner ring, and then at a wonky angle outside it is another ring. And I, I should mention that these observations come, of course, you might not be surprised to hear this, from ALMA, ah. the Atacama Large Millimeter Array Telescope out there in the Atacama, not far from San Pedro de Atacama. Um, it's uh, a gigantic uh, uh, array of radio telescopes that look at some millimetre and some millimetre uh, waves. And it's been brilliant at picking Mm. up these protoplanetary rings. So um, the story now switches to an analysis of what can make, you know, what sort of gravitational interactions produce a star system like that, I'm sorry, produce a, 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 a dust ring like yeah. that. Um, and so there are two main camps. Uh, one of them, and this is probably where astronomers started, says this curious arrangement of the rings is due to the curious arrangement of the stars in the middle, that it's a triple star. Um, and so you've got really odd gravitational forces involved yeah. and curious torques and tidal forces. Um, however, another group, uh, which I think is led by astronomers at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, if I remember rightly, uh, this group uh, says, no, um, we cannot make the mathematics work out that gives you a ring system like this from a triple, from the effect of a triple 
star system. And so what they uh, are actually, um, basically they're uh, proposing is a planet in the gap. Mm. Um, um, and it's, uh, and th- th- that's pretty strong, actually, um, uh, strong evidence. The, they, they're quite convinced, this team, and I should mention they include um, astronomers from the United Kingdom as well as the United States, uh, they have really ruled out the idea that the triple, you know, the, the triple star system itself on its own could cause the curious alignment of the, of the uh, dust disk. And so uh, they are left with only the option that there's a planet in there and maybe more uh, forming planets. What would it be like on a planet uh, orbiting three stars, uh, you know, seasonally and I suppose gravitationally? Uh, there's got to be, I don't know if it would be very comfortable, would it? Um, no, probably not. Um, you know, everybody points to Star Wars as the... As the um, uh, as the archetypal archetypal uh, science fiction movie that featured, in fact, it was two stars, wasn't it? Two stars, the, yes. Yeah, that, that's right. That's but I point to something long, long before that, uh, because back in the 1950s, um, Fred Campson, who was the artist who produced Dan Dare in the Eagle comic, he had uh, a star system called the the three sons of loss, and loss is soul backwards. <laughs> a lot of his terms were uh, things backwards. The three sons of loss was a triple star system. And so we've got all these lovely illustrations that Frank did of sunrise with the, 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 triple, the triple star system. Minu, the smallest one, the red star. Anyway, that's just fantasy. Uh, I'm just telling you that um, triple star systems go back a long way in science yeah. fiction. Um, and what would it be like? Well, it'd be really interesting. Uh, we understand, though, that at the distance where this planet uh, is thought to be uh, from the triple star system, uh, two of them will be so close together that they would look like a single point of light. All right. Uh, so you'd only see effectively two stars. But, but you know, can you imagine even that at uh, oh. sunrise or sunset would be just incredible to look at, yeah. wouldn't it? Oh, I imagine so, yeah. I wonder what their season would be like. Yeah, well, um, a lot of that would depend on the tilt of the of the planet. I mean, yeah. we're talking almost certainly about a gas giant, so there wouldn't be any surface and uh, it's hard to imagine any life forms on it, although it might form moons and then moons are, Possibly a place where life forms could could develop, mm. uh, but yeah, yeah, the sea they would certainly have weird seasons, weird and wonderful seasons, indeed. Yeah, and and we can't see this at the moment, can we? It's all been uh, picked up by radio telescope analysis. Yeah, certainly, the dust disk is the, the star itself. The star system itself is is visible. Um, I don't know oh, okay. what its brightness is, but um, the fact that it's called GW Ori tells you it's it's uh, visible in vis- in normal visible light uh, and it's variable and presumably some of that variation comes from the fact that these stars slip in front of one another from time mm. to time. Okay. Uh, if you want to read up on that, the uh, study has been published in the monthly notices of the Royal Astronomical Society. So that's Indeed. where you'll find it. Mm. Yep. Now, Fred, let's move on to the Bepi Colombo mission, which uh, we talked about um, well a while ago now and, and you know one or two times uh, since its launch. And it has just done its first flyby of Mercury, took a couple of selfies and a, and a bit of a video, <laughs> yeah. um, but uh, the, the pictures have been quite amazing. 
Yeah, Mercury is such a dramatic world, um, an enigmatic world too with uh, craters. It looks a lot like the moon at first sight with all these mm. craters, but the, the missions that have reached Mercury and investigated it, like the Messenger mission, which I think was a NASA mission uh, a few years ago, have, have demonstrated that it's very odd because it's got this huge uh, iron core, much bigger than you would expect for a planet of Mercury's size. And so there's a lot to learn about Mercury, and that is why uh, this joint European-Japanese spacecraft is on its way there. Its name is Colombo, um, uh, named after a, actually after a scientist who first suggested the idea of uh, of gravitational slingshots. Yeah, um, you know where you where you use a planet's gravity to boost the uh, the, the velocity of a spacecraft. Uh, and in fact, this is the the classic example of of that, as you've already hinted at, because Pepe Colombo has already had uh, one flyby of Earth and two of Saturn. Sorry, two of Venus. Yes, and he's and this. Uh, what we've seen now is the when it was um, a week ago. So it, it's the first of six flybys of Mercury, uh, and that is all about slowing down mm. the spacecraft to give it the a velocity that will match. Um, the orbit of Mercury and allow it to go into orbit around the planet. Uh, so, yeah, this uh, multiple flyby is a really neat trick, and it's great that um, the inventor of it is celebrated in the name of the spacecraft. Can we just um, sort of revisit the purpose of the mission? Yes, we can. Uh, so it's basically to find out about, um, you know, about about Mercury. There are two. It actually carries two uh, orbiters, which will be released uh, uh, I think it's 2024 or thereabouts. 2025, I think. 2025, yeah. yeah. Okay. And it'll be released, uh, th those two orbiters will be released to go into orbit around the planet, obviously. One is um, studying its magnetic field. It's called uh, uh, the Mercury Magnetospheric Orbiter. That's uh, the Japanese spacecraft from JAXA, the Japanese Space Agency. Uh, and the other one is uh, an ESA spacecraft. It is called Mercury Planetary Orbiter. And it, it basically will look at um, the, 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 the surface of Mercury in detail, which is going to be great. We'll see some fabulous images, but also to study the core of Mercury. What I've just mentioned, this extraordinarily large core. Mm. Um, by, and how do you do that? Well, you, you look at the, the way the spacecraft behaves under the gravity of this complex planet, um, because it, 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 uh, the, the way a spacecraft orbits tells you about the eternal structure. Okie doke. And of course, yes, as we mentioned, um, <laughs> final arrival will be sometime around 2025 ish. <laughs> that's when they'll slow down enough to catch orbit. Yeah, that's right. That's, mm, that's mm. the bottom line. Yeah. All right. Uh, there'll be more to come from Bepi Colombo uh, after its sixth flyby with those, you know, the f photos. Of, yeah, we've already seen that. <laughs> Just like the, the rover on the moon. Yeah, that's yeah. another rock. Yeah. Mm. It is, isn't it? Oh, another space launch. Uh, <laughs> oh, more astronauts in yeah. space station. Yeah. All right. It, but that's good because it means there's progress. And yeah, we, it means. If, yeah. Yeah. If, we, uh, we, if things are getting normal, then. That's a good thing in terms of space exploration and study. That's I right. Think. Hmm. I think you're right. Yes. You're listening to Space Nuts. I'm Andrew Dunkley and he's Fred Watson. Indeed he is.
Let's take a quick break from the program to tell you about our sponsor, NordVPN. Now, as a Space Nuts listener, you get a special offer from our sponsor. Two years, a two-year plan, plus four months for free. It's easy to grab the deal. There's a special URL for Space Nuts listeners, so you can jump onto nordvpn.com slash spacenuts to look at the deal. First and foremost, it has a 30-day money-back guarantee. Now, if you read the reviews about NordVPN, uh, most people are very, very happy with the service in regard to its speed, its connectivity, and its stability. That's very, very important. And I must confess, I have been using it for a little while now, and I tend to agree. It's got endorsements from Wired, The Huffington Post, BuzzFeed, Forbes, TEDx, the BBC even, in uh, England. And it makes your online data unreadable. It protects your personal interests. It protects your browsing. It protects when you're banking and shopping online from cyber criminals and surveillance. And it secures uh, all your devices, regardless of the platform, Windows, uh, Mac operating systems, Linux, Android, uh, iOS. They're all covered by NordVPN. And it gives you access to a global internet service. I mean, if you don't use a VPN, you are basically restricted. You're geo-blocked. This will overcome that. And uh, as I said, there are so many positives, uh, including uh, 24-hour, seven-day-a-week service. So check it out. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee. It's risk-free and it's 100% guaranteed. And uh, you can get your money back after 30 days if you don't like it. So go to the special URL, nordvpn.com slash space nuts and find out more. Uh, two-year deal, which will cost you $3.18 a month total, $3.18 a month. Instead of paying over $300 for this service, it'll be $89 for the first two years, plus four months free. So grab the deal. It's on this URL, nordvpn.com slash space nuts, a special deal for you as a space nuts listener, nordvpn.com slash space nuts. Now, back to the show. Space Nuts. Now, if you'd like to chat away with other Space Nuts listeners, you can do that uh, through social media, if it's working. Uh, The Space Nuts podcast group is on Facebook, and this is where like-minded people, uh, listeners of Space Nuts, can get together and chat, sometimes debate. One of the debates that's come up this week is in regard to something we talked about last week, the legend of Sodom and Gomorrah and this, this city in the Middle East that uh, they have been digging around and looking at, and some evidence suggests that it was um, destroyed by an asteroid explosion. Uh, That started debate because there's another side of the story that suggests, no, that's all wrong, that's not what happened. So you might want to get in on that discussion. Um, We we remain neutral here. Of course we do. (laughs) We are apolitical. But, uh, yeah, if you do a search in Facebook for Space Nuts podcast group, then uh, you should be able to find the group, um, join it, and and uh, you know share your photos of your astronomical uh, pictures, uh, or just get involved in the discussions, read the articles that get posted. It's all there on the Space Nuts podcast <laughs> group. Now we're going to try and tackle some text questions because the text people uh, do tend to sort of miss out on occasion, which is um, unfortunate. But we're going to fix that right now. Uh, first question, Fred, comes from Patrick in. Denver, uh, what are the chances of the primary star Carina A in stellar system Eta Carina 
a Carini uh, exploding as a pair instability supernova. Wow. Uh, if such an explosion occurred when Carini uh, B was in the closest proximity to A, would it uh, destroy both stars? Great show, and thanks for taking my questions. Good questions too, Patrick. They, yeah, they're, they're, they're excellent questions. <laughs> um, and I think so, I mashed up the pronunciation. No, no, you didn't. No, Itakarini A. There we um, go. So it, 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 the, there is, yeah, the, the, the mechanism by which Itakarini might collapse to a supernova is still, you know, it's still uh, hypothesized because we, we don't know exactly what its mass is. Um, it's, uh, it's likely to be, uh, it's, it's, it's likely to be a core collapse supernova, uh, more than, uh, more than a pair instability supernova. These are different mechanisms for the formation of supernovae. And it actually depends on not just the mass of the, the original star, but it's, it's metallicity. That, that means, um, the amount of stuff other than hydrogen that is in it. Uh, astronomers call all elements heavier than hydrogen or helium. They call them metals. It's a slightly weird and wonderful thing. Uh, but I love the metallicity, that word. metallicity. Uh, yeah, it's a great. So the metallicity is, is how much of this stuff there is. The, the lower the metallicity, uh, the less iron and, you know, and, and other elements that, that's in the, in a star. Um, so I don't know the answer to that. Whether it will be, uh, you know, a, 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 a basically a, a collapse to a black hole, uh, a core collapse, or a pair instability explosion. Um, I think yeah, core collapse actually doesn't do much in the way of uh, of causing a supernova. It just collapses to a black hole, and that's the yeah. end of it. Uh, whereas a pair instability supernova definitely does, and that's why uh, you know the question relates to whether the other star in because it's a it's it's a binary system whether the other star will in fact survive that. I can't remember was that the question Andrew whether it well survive yeah the question it? was would the uh, would a um, pair instability supernova destroy you know, if it was uh, Carini A would it destroy Carini B if it was close enough yeah yeah probably that that's the answer is uh, probably it would certainly um uh, it would certainly have fairly major consequences for Eta Carini B um, mm. uh, so uh, yeah and and the the thing about Eta Carini is that um uh it, it, it is unstable and is thought to be a likely supernova candidate uh sometime in the astronomically near future, which means within the next million years, uh, but so it could how, be how far how far away is it? If I remember rightly, it's about seven thousand light years. Oh, that's far enough. Thing. Let me that's check. Cool. It, it is it is far enough that we would survive. Yes, um, uh, rather than um, you know, rather than uh, be blasted by by harmful radiation. There would be radiation. There'd be a, a neutrino flux, um, mm. which. Essentially, uh, you know, w uh, would would be detected uh, here on Earth. Uh, yeah, seven thousand five hundred light years. I've just been looking two thousand three hundred parsecs. The instrument astronomer's unit of distance. Uh, so we, we'd measure this neutrino flux, but I don't think it would be uh, life threatening at that distance. 
That's good news. I feel relieved. Good. Glad you are. Although if it happened today, how long would it take for that neutrino flux to... Well, if it happened today, it would be 7,500 yeah, years because neutrinos effectively start uh, travel at the speed of light. But... Yeah, so, yeah, feel, I feel good either way now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless it happened 7,500 years ago and we don't know it yet. Yeah, well, that's the trick, you see. You, you don't know. It could have happened nope. already, exactly. Yeah, exactly right. Mm. All right. Um, thank you so much, Patrick. Lovely to hear from you. Hope all is well in Denver. Uh, now let's move across to Ohio, and uh, I think it's Randy. Yeah, he says, hi, guys. Thank you so much for a great show, as usual. Oh, well, we'll have to throttle back on that, Fred. It's, he said it's great. Uh, my question concerns the speed of light, as there's uh, a few things I can't get my head around. What, just you? I think it's everybody. Yeah, uh, everybody. When, I turn on, when I turn on my torch, for example, what is the acceleration rate of the photon that is coming out of the torch? And once the photon hits the speed of light, what stops it from accelerating any further? And I'll just bring in the second question before we get back to that. Uh, my second question concerns the Big Bang. That's different. I assume that the very singular uh, point where the Big Bang occurred must be at the very center of the universe. If expansion happened in all directions from this point, does that mean there is a singular point in the universe that has never moved or, uh, or expanded? And do we know where that point is? We'll get back to that, uh, but firstly, the speed of light question. Yeah, you turn the torch on, the photons shoot out and reach almost the speed of light. can only reach the speed of light in a vacuum, right? And, um, yeah, what, what stopped them, stop them from accelerating further? Uh, this is the, you know, this is where we get into the real, real basics of physics uh, because photons do not accelerate. Um, ah, they they hit top speed instantly. Yeah, um, and it's not it's not a photon doesn't go from zero speed to the speed of light instantaneously. Oh. It is already travelling at the speed of light when it is created. Good grief! <laughs> Work that for the <laughs> I can't. But uh, the Formula One industry is certainly keen to figure this one out. Yeah, yeah that's right. Well, it's where, so you build a racing car, and when you finish building it, it's already travelling the speed, yeah. the maximum speed. Wow. Uh, yeah. So it is. It's really odd physics. Um, there is a term which is photon acceleration, um, but it's it refers to the way. Uh, the frequency of light changes as it passes through a refractive index that is changing. Um, so, you know, this is, this is esoteric stuff. It's a terminology. So photon acceleration in the, in the way that we normally would think of acceleration doesn't exist. Uh, but it, it's an, there's an analogous thing with photons um, where the frequency of the light changes uh, in response to a change in refractive index, refractive index is the is the kind of breaking um, property of a material. Like light travels more slowly through glass, for example, and through air. Mm. Uh, it only hits the speed of light that we normally think of, three hundred thousand kilometers per second in a vacuum. And so uh, that, I suppose, in a way, answers the second part of the question, uh, because if photons, uh, when they are created, they are already traveling at light speed 
Um, it means that there's nothing that stops the acceleration. That is the property, it's an inherent property of the photon itself, that that speed is associated, at least in a vacuum, with, with photons. So um, we, uh, we don't actually know why it's 300,000 kilometers per second. It's a strangely magical number because, um, uh, you know, that, that number is fixed in a vacuum uh, in a, 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 and as relativity tells you, special relativity, because the speed of light is fixed, space and time must vary, and they do. They warp uh, uh, in response to different things. So um, it's curious. You would have thought space and time were pretty solid, but actually it's not. It's the speed mm. of light that's solid. Um, and we don't know why it is that figure, but it, it, the point is that this, that speed is an inherent property of a photon. It's, I, think, uh, I think the New South Wales Department of Transport put speed limiters on the photons. I'm pretty sure that law came in. Uh, they, they, they do, but there's a proviso that the, the, it only happens in a vacuum. Uh, yeah. And the Department of Transport um, tends to abhor a vacuum. Um, to quote, to use an old quote... <laughs> Oh dear. All right. So uh, that answers the first part of the question. What about the Big Bang? Uh, did it happen in the middle and because everything expanded out at the same time at the same speed in all directions? So is there a point where the Big Bang was or is uh, or originated and has it not moved or is it possibly moving as well? And I, I think we already know we don't know where that point is. Or well, we know, but uh, we, we do. We, uh, it's here. Right. Yes, uh, and that's, it's, and that's it's here. The... And if you're on Eta Carina, it's there. And if yeah. you're, it's the same everywhere. And that's because um, this is, you know, the relativistic picture that I'm giving you, the standard model of the formation of the universe. It's because it started in a singularity, which is a point with no dimensions. Mm. So if the thing kicks off uh, in a point with no dimensions and that process makes space, then every bit of space is the same as every other bit. There's no center to it. But it sounds like a glib argument, um, but you, you have to, in a way, you've got to combine it with the idea that space might be infinite. Um, because, yeah. you know, if space had a boundary, you could naturally think in terms of there being a geometrical center of some sort, but we don't mm. think space is like that. Um, uh, it, yeah, these are, huge mysteries you know they're 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 things that um we we really have uh, a lot of very clever physicists are putting a lot of very clever thought in it and there's a lot of very complex mathematical equations that people write but the bottom line is we don't really understand the mechanics of it no and we don't know how big the university is we can we only see what right. we can see and beyond that we don't know how much yeah. of it there is uh, so, so we, we couldn't possibly define a centre because we don't have the data. Yes, that's right. So, yeah, exactly. So we can see horizons. There are horizons on the, in the universe beyond which we can't see, and they're all centred on the Earth uh, because it's a horizon. It's our own vantage point on the universe. It's like, you know, if you're plumped down in an ocean somewhere, you've got a, a horizon, but it's a different one from what somebody else sees uh, who's plumped down in a different bit of the ocean. Um, so uh, you're absolutely right. We don't know the extent of the universe and therefore we don't really know if it has a centre. The assumption mm. is that it doesn't because it's, uh, it was created from a singularity. 
Fair enough. All right. Uh, get your head around that, Randy. <laughs> uh, and thanks for uh, uh, sending us a question. Lovely to hear from you. This is Space Nuts with Andrew Dunkley and Professor Fred Watson. Okay, we checked all four systems. Uh, Space Nuts. Thank you for joining us. Uh, and don't forget to visit our website because there are lots of things you can do on the spacenutspodcast.com website. Uh, it's where you can send us questions. Whether you want to send them in audio form or text, it's uh, totally up to you. Uh, you can check out Astronomy Daily, which is in one of the tabs up the top to catch up on all the latest astronomy news. And you can visit the Space Nuts shop. Lots of goodies in there as well. Now, Fred, uh, we need to uh, get to our final question. This is a, a double bunger as well. This comes from Owen, who is in West Cross, Wales. Uh, Hi, Nutters. I've always thought that the colour of the sky was due to the wavelength of light, shorter and blue during the day when the sun is directly above and longer and orange-red during the evening when the sun is setting and moving away. Is this what is meant by scattering? Also, Last week, which was not last week, it was probably 14 weeks ago, <laughs> Fred mentioned in 50 years' time, an observer from the planet in the Trappist star system could see Earth. If this is the case, how are we able to observe the planets in the Trappist system now? I thought it would have been the same time frame observing both ways. Thanks. Love the show. Uh, thanks for the questions, Owen. Let's tackle um, the, the light question first. Yeah, the good questions from Owen. Thank you, um, and give my love to Wales. It's a lot to have been there. Um, the, uh, the 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 question about the colour of the sky and light in the atmosphere is indeed uh, related to a phenomenon which is called Rayleigh scattering. It was uh, it's named that after Lord Rayleigh who was the 19th century physicist who worked out what was actually happening. Um, and it's what, what's happening is the, the particles of light, the photons coming from the sun, in the case of this happens in any scattering medium, but let's talk about the Earth's atmosphere uh, for now. Uh, it, it hits the molecules of air in the atmosphere, and that... Uh, has this scattering effect. It's, it's basically, it's like two billiard balls. You know, you, you, you hit one with the other and, and it scatters off in some random direction. Mm. Um, that's the phenomenon. But what we understand from Rayleigh's work, uh, and it, it's rock solid, it's not just a theory, it actually works very well, uh, is that the scattering is wavelength dependent. Now, uh, the wavelength of light is what gives light its color. Short wavelength light is blue and violet. Long wavelength right light is red. Um, and it turns out that the scattering is very strongly biased towards blue light. So the, the, the further towards the blue in the spectrum that your particle of light has, the the more it's scattered, the higher the the amount of scattering, uh, and by mm. that I don't just mean the angle. It's the physically the amount that that, that you know the, the 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 probability with which it will be scattered. So it means that blue light uh, scatters much more readily than uh, than red light. And if you want the details, uh, I'll be technical for a minute here, Andrew. Uh, the proportionality yeah. is one 
over the wavelengths to the fourth power, one over lambda to the fourth. What wavelength is is usually called lambda, and in the formula, it's it's one over lambda to the fourth. So that means um, that the uh, as as the wavelength it probably sounds like I've got this the wrong way around, uh, but uh, as the wavelength gets bigger, uh, it um, it scatters w- more more um, it scatters less. Bottom line, because it's a one over thing. I'm, I'm not yeah. making a meal of this. Um, as the wavelength gets bigger, the scattering is much, much, much less. And the converse of that is as the wavelength gets smaller, the scattering is much, much, much more. And that's why the sky is blue, because the sunlight scatters the blue and violet light so readily. The violet we don't see because it's blocked really by the transparency of the atmosphere. I'm actually looking at a blue sky now, which is a stunning colour, just a deep azure. Uh, in the uh, in the um, in, actually, I look I look on to a cliff face. Effectively, we've got a, a very steep rocky slope behind us, and at the top of that, I can just see a beautiful patch of blue sky. So yeah, I just what... had to look out the window, and it's exactly the same. same in fact, yeah. Um, yeah. I I often get comments when I've taken photos, especially that daytime photo I took of the moon recently. People have come back to me and said, how blue is that sky? Yeah. There are obviously people in the world that don't see it like we do. Oh, that, that's right. And that's because um, uh, a lot of places, uh, we have a pretty unpolluted atmosphere generally yeah. in Australia, and certainly where you are, Andrew, mm. I think. Uh, in um, regional New South Wales, and it's the pollutants or the the dust. Sometimes dust can have the same effect. Dust scatters light in a different way, uh, and if you've got um, aerosol pollutants, uh, aerosol pollutants in the atmosphere, they also scatter in a different way, and it tends to basically wash out the blue. The blue is the the just the scattering from uh, air molecules, basically nitrogen and and oxygen. Um, yeah. So, and that sort of also explains. So, as the as the sun sets, the light in the sky actually becomes a bit more a bit more biased towards the yellow and orange, really. And it's because there's a, a much greater layer of atmosphere that the sun is the sunlight is going through, uh, and so you, you're seeing. Uh, not just the blue light being scattered, but the the you know the green, orange, and red parts of the spectrum are being scattered as well, mm-hmm. uh, significantly, uh, because there's so much air there, so much material to scatter, and that's why often when you look at the sun, uh, 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 you know when it's right down on the horizon at sunset, uh, it will often look quite orange or red because uh, the other the other wavelengths have all been scattered out. The green, the blue, has yeah. all disappeared. I actually um, caught a photo one morning before sunrise of uh, the sky, uh, a vivid pink, like the like the pink of a of a, a billiard ball, yeah, a snooker ball. Yeah, yeah. it was that pink. It was an amazing yeah. photo. Yeah, that's fantastic. There's another, just one one other phenomenon I might mention that's related to this, and that is if you've got the sun really well down on the horizon, right down low, and you have a rainbow on the other side of the sky because there's showers around. Sometimes all you see is a red rainbow. The, the other right? colours have gone. Yeah, um, there's plenty of photos of them uh, on the web. 
uh, mm. just a, a red rainbow. And it looks peculiar because it's a single colour, yeah. effectively. Now, it, uh, the sky is, is amazing. And I, I've taken lots of photos of, uh, of the sky over the years and, and particularly catching uh, storm clouds in a sunset that can be just red as red. Uh, it's just incredible, some of the stuff we see out yeah. here and, and other parts of the world. It's uh, yeah, it's uh, it's quite a phenomenon, and uh, I suppose the ancients, as we tend to call them, would have looked at this and gone, "Oh, well, the gods are angry." Um, yeah, well, that's right. It's mm-hmm. got that. Uh, sometimes it does, the sky does look angry. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, so that's the colour part yep. of his question answered. Now, uh, going back to our discussion in episode two hundred and fifty-nine about the uh, observing of uh, you know planets in the Trappist star system. Uh, not being able to see each other yet, but in the future. Uh, he's suggesting that, well, you know, if we can see the Trappist star system now, couldn't they see us? I got a feeling that's not quite the situation we were discussing. Well, I can't remember. Well, a good honest, but, but I suspect um, that Owen is picking up on a bit of um, uh, uh, Fred Watson skirting around the planet, so uh, not expressing myself particularly well. That uh, that is because you, it ruins absolutely right. If we if the light from a, a star system takes fifty years to get to us, well, our light takes fifty years to get to them as well. It's just absolutely symmetrical. Hmm. Um, I think um, Trappist One, uh, the system that uh, Owen's talking about, it's got a, a proper name as well, Andrew, which I'll give you just to be uh, to be complete. It's called Two Mass J two three zero six two nine two eight minus zero five zero double two eight five. Okay, don't forget that, uh, and, and that means it's a two mass star. Two mass was the two micron all sky survey, if I remember rightly, which is a, a basically an infrared survey of the sky conducted it's probably 30, 40 years ago now. It's a long time ago, thirty years maybe. Anyway, it's a it's a, a, a cool red dwarf star with. Um, I think seven planets around it. So it's a really interesting planetary system. Uh, it's thought now, I think, to be 40 light years away. That's the, uh, the, the latest value. So indeed, light from uh, Trappist-1 takes 40 years to get to us and vice versa, light from our solar system takes 40 years to get there. And now I do apologise if I was misleading by probably poor use of words, probably just not being as accurate in my description as I should have been. Naughty Fred. So does that mean that people on planets around the Trappist system can see us at the moment if they wanted to or not? Uh, if they I are, think that's where, that's where he was getting at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, yes. Yes, they can. Okay. Um, it may have. Uh, I, I may have been. To- I can't remember. I might have been talking about. You know, there are some some um, planetary systems who uh, which are located um, in the same direction as the Earth orbits the Sun, the ecliptic plane. And I, mm. I think we talked about that about the fact that some of these planetary systems will be able to detect the Earth by transiting. Uh, across the, um, uh, by, by seeing the Earth, by the fact that it transits across the, the sun's disk. And that w- might be a temporary phenomenon for those, those yeah. stars. But that could be just me misremembering a different con- conversation. Uh, given that um, TRAPPIST-1's declination is minus five degrees, that is unlikely. It's in the wrong place for this sort of thing. Okay. There you go. 
Uh, thank you, Owen. Uh, great to hear from you in West Cross, Wales. Uh, and don't forget, if you do have questions for us, uh, you can log on to our web. You don't have to log on. You just uh, go to our website, uh, spacenutspodcast.com or spacenuts.io and just uh, choose your um, approach to us. The AMA tab gives you the option to send us an email or an audio question, or you can just click on the link on the right-hand side and record your video, uh, record your question there. Uh, it's really that simple, as long as you've got a device with a microphone and uh, pretty easy to get through to us. And we do, uh, we do see them all. We can't answer them all. A lot of the time, people actually ask the same questions, sometimes around the same time. I, I remember a whole bunch coming in that basically covered the same things. So, uh, we can answer them en masse occasionally. So if you don't hear your exact question answered, probably because it's been asked by someone else. That happens. Uh, and it's been happening for a long time. <laughs> Millennia. 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 All right. Years. Time to wrap it up for another week. Thank you, Fred. Pleasure, Andrew. Good to talk. Always you good too. Yeah. Take care. We'll catch up with you next week when uh, freedoms are restored. Apparently. Mm -hmm. yeah. Some. Some, yeah. anyway. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Fred. Take care. You too. That is Fred Watson, astronomer at large, uh, part of the team here at Space Nuts. And thanks again to Hugh back in the studio who pushes all the bells and whistles and blows on the buttons. Or maybe it's the other way around. And from me, Andrew Dunkley, thanks again for joining us on Space Nuts. We'll catch you again next time. Bye-bye. Space Nuts. You'll be listening to the Space Nuts podcast. Available at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or your favourite podcast player. You can also stream on demand at Bytes.com. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.